Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. We're again uh, this morning, we're privileged. David Bayshore is going to be preaching. Uh, He and his family have been here again for just a little over a year and now sings up on the worship team and uh, just involved in a variety of ways. David's actually helping uh, work with all of our connect groups uh, and things. And again, he's done a whole variety of work in the church in the past, uh, including he's been a pastor in the past, and he's in seminary right now, training and looking forward to the future. So it's the first time he's jumped up here in a while to preach, but he's going to be teaching us today. Uh, so I encourage you, as always, let's hear and receive God's word uh, together as the Lord speaks through David. So, all right. All right, thank you very much, Brett. Thank you, uh, everybody. Uh, I'd be remiss before I start if I just didn't thank you guys for being so welcoming to us the last year uh, plus. Uh, this is a special place, and I was uh, surprised and honored when the elders asked if I would be willing to, uh, to step up and to, and to teach and just share something that I'm very passionate about, um, and that's partially because it, it bears itself out in my life a little bit that I don't always see what Jesus is trying to do. I don't always see what God is trying to do. Um, sometimes I see what I want God to do, and it doesn't always materialize that way. So um, I'm, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, I want to bring it in by um, making a, a bit of a pop culture reference, uh, something that we can all easily relate to, because it's kind of hard to, to pull 2,000 years, and gosh, how can I relate to that sometimes? So um, one of the things that my wife and I really like to do when the kids have gone to bed and we have a couple of hours to ourselves before we turn in for the night is we like to sit down and we'll watch a show on Netflix together. Uh, lately, we've been going through a variety of, of series and shows, but one of the most popular ones that we came up with um, that we've watched and we watched it through, um, seen it a couple of times, it, it's kind of got a, a bit of a cult following everything, is The Office, uh, the American version, not the British version. Uh, most of you, if you've if you've seen it, if not, you're familiar with it. You've probably seen them floating around on Facebook and, and everything like that. Well, there's a certain point in the office when the manager leaves, and he's departing, and everybody starts jockeying for his position. There are these two guys specifically that pretty much everybody knows if you followed the series at all. There's one guy named Dwight. I hear the laughs. Good old Dwight, right? And there's Daryl. Now, Dwight is someone who's been the assistant manager, assistant to the manager, throughout the whole show, right? Uh, constantly putting himself in positions of, of power and prestige and trying to lord it over everybody else. And, and when Michael, the manager, leaves, Dwight thinks, well, this is my chance. I have been the assistant regional manager, assistant to the regional manager, for a very long time. And I've put in my time, I've done all the work, there's a power vacuum here, and I'm just going to step right in and, and take it. It's mine because I deserve it, and I want it. And if you follow the plot of the show, that's the entire, like, that's what Dwight has only ever wanted in life, was just to be the regional manager. But there's also Daryl, and when he comes in to do the interview, he's unprepared. He doesn't have a resume, doesn't have answers to any of the questions, because he figures he knows everybody on the committee, and he's buddies with all of them, and so, of course, they're going to hire him, because they know Daryl, and they like Daryl. Neither of them was prepared 
for what was actually expected of them. Neither of them saw where the office was going. They missed what was happening because they thought it was going to go a different way. Now, even if you haven't seen the office, everyone here, I'm sure, knows a Daryl or a Dwight, right? And if we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of the time, that Daryl or that Dwight is staring right in the mirror, right? I know that's me a lot. We miss what's going on because we think it's going to be going a particular way. Because logically it just makes sense to us. We've done X, Y, and Z. This is the way we see things trending. This is the way it should be. And we're missing on what's going on behind the scenes. So if it can happen in a situation like that, and it can happen in a situation in our daily lives, we must understand that it can also happen when we are trying to ascertain the big picture, what God is trying to do, what his agenda is, what his program is in our current situation. And so it's very important for us to understand what God says about seeing what's going on behind the scenes and making sure we're in tune with that and not just assuming because this is the way that it's always gone or this is our understanding of it that this is how it's going to go. So the question we have today is, how should we view God's mission? How should we see Jesus so that we can see him clearly? And today, what we're going to do is we're going to see an example in Scripture about how self-importance or spiritual blindness is what we're going to use today um, can, can leave us unaware of everything that's going on around us spiritually and how humility actually causes us to be able to spiritually see and we're also going to see that Jesus will use teachable moments where we don't understand what's going on to teach us something about his agenda. So today we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 52. And I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. These are the words of the Lord our God. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want, us, we want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. And they answered him, Allow us to sit at your right hand and at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. And Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those whom it has been prepared. When the ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to ser be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus! 
Son of David, have mercy on me. And many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, Have mercy on me, Son of David. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, Have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Jesus answered him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and he began to follow Jesus on the road. So Jesus is using this event, this circumstance, this anonymous blind person that they come across in Jericho to teach a point to his disciples and to teach a point to us. And the first thing we need to understand from this passage is that the physically seeing disciples are spiritually blind. They don't get it. They don't understand what's going on. When you go back and you read through verses 37 and verse 40 and 41, you see that the disciples are entitled to kingdom status. They tell him, allow us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. They think the kingdom's coming and the kingdom's coming soon. And we want to be set up as the guys in authority. The right hand is the, is the hand of power. That's where the power players sit. That's what James and John are asking. Not long before this conversation even though, Jesus has predicted his death and his burial and his resurrection. So they still don't understand what's going on. They're asking for something in this kind of status that they want. Jesus corrects them a little bit. Tells them he's not, he doesn't know what they're asking. And then he says, but to sit at my right or to my left is not mine to give. Instead, it's for those whom it has been prepared. So they're asking for kingdom status. And they're asking something of Jesus that in that time, it's not even Jesus' to give at this point. Yet they feel like this is something that they should have. This, of course, causes infighting amongst the disciples. They're getting bitter and indignant with each other. But Jesus turns around and he uses that to reorient their entire paradigm for all disciples of Christ to come forward. Verses 42 to 45, they're up here on the screen. What he's saying is he's saying that using status or using importance to lift oneself up I deserve this because I've been running with Jesus for three and a half years, or I deserve this for whatever reason. To set somebody up like that, or to tear somebody else down, because this kind of stuff often is a zero-sum game, right? That's stuff that's to be expected from people outside of God's people. Lords of the Gentiles, rulers of the nations, that's expected, but it's not expected within God's people. Jesus says, it is not so among you. He says, whoever wants to be great will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first is going to be a slave to all, because even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Even Jesus lowered himself to serve and to give of himself. He's using this whole exchange to deliver a point to the disciples. They're missing it. They don't see what's going on here. And so, 
Mark, the author here, inserts this story of this physically blind man who has 20-20 spiritual vision. Verses 46 to 48, you see it right here. Bartimaeus, that's all we know about him, is he's the son of Timaeus. And he's a blind beggar sitting by the side of the road. What is he interested in from Jesus when he hears Jesus is coming by? Oh, Jesus, give me all this status. Give me something when you come into your kingdom. Give me all this. Give me that. Give me that, right? No, he cries out, and he cries out to Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah. For what? Mercy. Not even his sight yet. He knows who he is, and he knows who's coming. He knows first, among everything else, he needs mercy. He is interested in being made whole. And first, that means being restored and then having his sight restored. Now, how do we know that Bartimaeus believes that Jesus is the Messiah like I just said? Some people might have questions. Where do I get that from? It's the title that he uses to refer to him. Have mercy on me, son of David. That title was exclusively reserved for the Messiah by their leader's own admission. If you look in Matthew, chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus puts it to him. says, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They say, David's. He's the son of David. That title was exclusively reserved for the person who is the Messiah. So Bartimaeus, to use that here, indicates that he clearly, he's, he's, he's seeing it. It's even 2015 vision. It's like laser focused. He's got it. This is the Messiah who's walking by here. And he cries out for mercy. When Jesus calls him, he casts his lot in with Christ. And he casts his lot in with Christ alone. Don't miss what's going on in this passage here. Because what he does when Jesus calls him is he takes off his coat, is what it says. And he stands up. Now, in that culture, in that time, the beggars would often be sitting on the side of the road and they'd be sitting down cross-legged or Indian style or however you learned it, but you get the picture, right? And they would take this cloak or this coat and they would lay it across their lap and they would tuck a, a pocket or a pouch in their legs. And that's where all the coins would go. All the alms that were given to them so they could easily wrap it up and take it home, keep it safe, whatever they wanted to do. So when Bartimaeus gets called to go to Jesus, he takes that and he tears that off with whatever was in it. We don't know if there were coins in it or if there weren't, but he's eliminating the possibility of obtaining alms for the day because that's where it would have been. He's casting this aside and he's giving away his entire livelihood right now and throwing himself on the mercy of the son of David. He's leaving everything behind. Don't miss this. Everything of his past life, everything that he was doing for himself, everything that he could have tried to obtain for himself to build some sort of living in this life, he's throwing it all away and saying, he's got what I need. And he comes to Jesus, and he comes and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do? And he says, I want to see an interesting turn of phrase because we can see that he at least on one level very clearly sees right now but his sight is what he asks for he doesn't ask for anything else he just says my lord 
teacher, I want to see. And Jesus says that his faith has saved him and his sight is restored. Upon being healed, what does he do? He follows Jesus into Jerusalem. Now, where is Jesus going on the way to Jerusalem? We're towards the back end of Mark here, right? This is one of the last miracles that Jesus does before that seven-day week before he's hung on a tree and killed and buried. He's going to the cross. Bartimaeus follows. He goes along with him. And that's because he sees physically. So the disciples can see spiritually. Bartimaeus' vision spiritually is, is, is dead on. But he sees physically so that the disciples can see spiritually. Notice the different responses that we have when we, when we go back through the passage. Jesus asks the very same question to two different groups of people and has two very different answers. He asks the disciples, what do you want me to do for you? And they answer him, allow us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. Jesus asks Bartimaeus the same thing. What do you want me to do for you? And he says, Rabboni, I want to see. Bartimaeus asks rightly. The disciples ask amiss. Now, seeking some sort of glorification in the kingdom of God isn't automatically a bad thing. I want to make that clear. But there's a, there's, it's something that Jesus just gives to whomever Jesus gives to. It's not something that they seek and they obtain and you follow this formula and you do all these things and boom, you get honor at the end of it. That's not how it works. Bartimaeus asks in the scope of Jesus' mission in addition to within his authority. And so Jesus performs this act of service here uh, to Bartimaeus and calls him to discipleship. And what that means actually for both his disciples then and his disciples now, it's a greater call to discipleship for all of us. We must learn to spiritually see. But all too often, like the disciples, we are spiritually blind. So how do we become spiritually blind or spiritually seeing? Now, we all know that there, there are uh, Christians who use the name wrongly for entitlement. And again, sometimes if we look in the mirror, you know, we're Dwight, we're Daryl. It's us. We ask God for special favors. We ask God to help us win our sporting event. Please, dear Jesus, if you, if you just let the Vikings miss this field goal and the Seahawks win, I will never ask for anything ever again until the next time, I promise. That's, five, that's, that's about four or five years ago, so you can see where I'm at in sanctification now, right? To grant our fleeting or temporal wishes. To declare that God must grant us victory in a given situation or favor in a situation just because he's promised us this, so we're going to totally misapply what has been said here and apply it to this thing over here where it doesn't work and declare that it's going to work. Or to feel self-important or to have the spotlight on us. These are all ways that we can become spiritually blind, or I should say maybe these are manifestations of our spiritual blindness. That might be a better way to articulate that. If we see these things happening, 
should probably check ourselves a little bit. It may not be a bad thing, but it may be a sign of something going on behind the scenes, that we're not seeing everything the way we should. Rather than acting like the disciples did, asking for status, asking for power, asking for glory and honor, we should act like Bartimaeus. We should cry out for healing of our spiritual blindness. Because the disciples were not in tune with Christ's mission. They asked a misc because they were spiritually blind. They didn't understand what was happening, what was going on. And Bartimaeus, on the other hand, he recognized exactly who Jesus was. And what he was doing. That's the important part. Many people know who Jesus is, but they miss out on what he's doing. He took his opportunity and he asked for mercy from Christ. And I want us to, to, to scan our brains a little bit. Remember, who, who, are the, who are the ones who can open the eyes of the blind, like physically, just with a touch? Is there multiple people who can do that in Scripture? The only one, right? Only one. Only one can open the eyes of the blind. And so Bartimaeus, instead of asking for something that isn't within Christ's agenda and isn't within Christ's program, he goes and he asks for things that only Christ can give him. He asks for mercy and forgiveness. Jesus oftentimes would heal to show that the sins were forgiven. If you remember earlier in Mark, there's a story of the paralytic. They, you know, they ripped the roof off and lowered him down through the roof, right? And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees freak out and say, by what authority do you do this? And Jesus says, just so you know that I have, which, which is harder, for me to forgive sins or for me to tell him to get up and walk? Just so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. Only Jesus has that authority, right? And only the Christ has the ability to return sight to the blind. Bartimaeus' faith, in a way, is confirmed by crying out to him. And in the same way, our faith is confirmed by crying out to Jesus, right? Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the Christian, our faith, it's made evident by following Jesus. Remember? Follow my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Follow me. Jesus, this is how we understand what's going on here. Jesus has moved to rescue us. We just spent a real long time honoring the Lord's birth and celebrating that the king is coming and the king has come and the king is coming back. He has moved to rescue us. He has pulled us out from the pit He's unbound the shackles of sin and death for his people. And he has rescued us. And the only good and proper response to that is to follow him. Just like Bartimaeus did. Let me repeat that one more time. The only good and proper response to Jesus rescuing us is to follow him. And for us, in this context, in this passage, what Jesus is talking about is that means to live a life of service to other people. It means to be a slave to all. Now, slave in the Bible carries a bunch of different definitions here. And so we want to be clear about what we're talking about. In verse 44, the word slave in Greek, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, is the word doulos. It's, 
a generic term for slave throughout the New Testament, and it can take on a bunch of different meanings depending on the verse's context and the passages surrounding it and everything. In this particular context, it is talking about being devoted to one another to the disregard of one's own interests. If you look up the Strong's Concordance with all the Greek and the Hebrew in it, and you go to this verse, that's what it's going to tell you. It's to be devoted to one another to the disregard of one's own interest. And this is reflected in the verse that's up on the screen right now, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, which says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. So this life that we've been given, this mercy that God has been given, given to us is not something that we are meant to just take and just hoard for ourselves. Oh, look, God saved me. I'm so special. Yay me, right? There's nothing special about me. If you hang out with my wife and kids for five minutes, they'll tell you, right? There wasn't anything in us that God said, oh, yeah, I'll take that one. I'll take David. He's awesome. I'm no more important than anybody else. In fact, God tells us to esteem others as more important than ourselves, which means that we would defer to them and we would seek to serve them before we serve ourselves. To be, as it says in Mark 10, 44, a slave to all. So what does this look like for the Christian? There's a small list here. It's not an exhaustive list by any means. This is a few things that we would think of uh, and a great many things that we here at Bay Ridge do, whether it's corporately or individually, which is awesome. But we can do things like we can feed the hungry and we can clothe the needy. We can tend to the homeless like we do for one week every year, right? We can adopt the orphan. We can do any number of things but let's make sure when we do all of those things that we don't forget number five. That we introduce them to Christ. Because if we do all of these great things and we help all of these people and we pull them out of all of their circumstances and we make their life totally better and completely acceptable by the world's terms and everything's going great for them and we don't introduce them to Jesus, we've just helped them trade one set of shackles for another. To be a servant to all is to serve people and to show them the one that we ultimately serve because this is the lifestyle that he has called us to. So we're going to have some few, few questions. We're going to go to applying the word now. We want to ask some good, hard questions here. Do I feel a sense of entitlement as a disciple of Christ? Am I doing any of the things that were mentioned or maybe something that wasn't mentioned earlier? Am I asking God for special favor? Am I asking him to grant my fleeting temporal wishes? Am I asking him that the Seahawks might beat the 49ers tonight and win the NFC West? Am I declaring that God must grant me victory or favor in a given situation? Or am I trying to have the spotlight? Or am I trying or do I presume some sort of special dispensation that exempts me from his mission and his ways? Do I feel like I can just operate however I want to operate? Do I feel 
a sense of entitlement as a disciple of Christ. This dovetails from the first question, but in what ways am I spiritually blind to what God is doing? How might uh, this sense of entitlement, if I have one, um, blind me to God's agenda? What am I not seeing? Is there something that I should be doing? Some way that I should be serving that I can't see? What am I missing from God's program, if you will, for my life? For the things that he's asked me to do? Third, what is God trying to show me about who he is and what he's doing? This question should actually view everything. It should reflect everything. This is the prism through which we should view everything in life. What is God trying to show me about who he is? When we get to the end, friends, it's not going to be who did the most things. It's not going to be who had the most favor from God on earth. It's not going to be who was in the best circumstances. It's not going to be who, um, who was looked at the best or who had the biggest church or who, which worship group sold the most CDs or um, who traveled to the most countries to share the love of Christ or who did any of that. It's about serving where we're at because at the end of the day, we're not going to hear any of that stuff. We're not going to hear, well done, my good and faithful pastor or my good and faithful missionary, bishop, teacher, evangelist. The whole list is up here. You can see it all. But we are going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well, we learn through service. We grow through service. God shapes us and conforms us into the image of his son through our service, which oftentimes is very hard. And oftentimes it leads to, to suffering or to rejection or to uh, being at enmity with the world, almost always at enmity with the world. But that's how God shapes us. That's the life that Jesus has called us to. And there will be some honor that we will then turn back to Jesus when we get there. But the important thing is until we get to hear this, well done, my good and faithful servant, we need to let our actions be representative of what we believe and how we see Jesus. And Brett's going to come up to the table now and lead us in communion. For uh, sharing the word, and this is such an important topic for us to grasp. This idea of servanthood, um, as we're reading through the text, I mean, we should be reminded, even as I was thinking about us coming to the table, you remember on the night Jesus instituted this meal, what was the argument at the table? Who was the greatest? So, so obviously, they still hadn't gotten it. This is the sin that doesn't die. It's the one that keep, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Okay, and you remember Jesus went down and he, he did what, what, what Dave was doing a couple of minutes ago and said, I'm going to be, be the doulos. I'm going to be the slave. And you remember he got down and washed their feet. And 
that was not just a servant position. I mean, you couldn't actually even order most slaves to do that. There were even slaves who had too much status to even do that because it was the lowest of the low. But it's what Jesus did trying to describe, of course, that wasn't even as low as he was going to go for the next day. So it is a challenge for us in the church to, to see this. And I love the way Dave brought those two things together. The disciples, thinking they see, are blind. And Bartimaeus, who everybody says can't see, actually does see in the way that really matters. And so we're going to come to the table, and I want to remind us, we come to the table as Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I, I don't have a right to right or left hand. I don't have a right to be in the room. I don't have a right to the table. But you are gracious and kind, and you open the door for me to come in. And so we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us and to work in us. And I would encourage us in, in any of these ways because there are so many opportunities every day. We, we have this so backwards. Linda and I, in both pre-marriage counseling and in talking to couples, we, we, we get this so wrong. Men, if you understand this principle and you understand what it means to be the head of the home, you will never bring up Ephesians 5 in your house because it's your death warrant. That's what it is. To lead is to serve always in the kingdom, not in the world. And sad to say, very often in the church, I, I, I have some pet peeves that I see with leaders sometimes where you come up and, and I have a sign out front and I get the best parking spot because I'm the pastor. What, what does that say? Right, that says I'm most important and the, the way of the kingdom is the leader goes first. That's not the way of the kingdom. The, the, the kingdom is upside down to that. And we are called to go forth and do it. So as we're going to come to this table, think about the excellent word we just heard. We have this table because our king served. That's why we have it. And we can only come to this table because we realize we're not worthy. And then we're asking Christ to propel and send us forth. Everyone is going to have no problem finding a way to apply this word this week. Every one of us is going to have opportunities where I want my way. And I want power. I want position. I want recognition. And Jesus says, lay it down and be a servant to all. And trust. See, this is where faith really comes in. Do I want my reward now, or do I trust it to Jesus on that day? Because if, if I'm wanting it now, then I'm going to grasp and go for power. And it is a real temptation for the church. I, I believe the American church particularly struggles with this. We like power. We like power. People who've got power, people who've got access, people who've got names, and we want to cling to them, all of which is the exact opposite way of the kingdom. It is how this world operates. It's not how the kingdom operates. So friends, you and I are going to come. 
as Bartimaeus to the table, seeing that what we need is mercy and forgiveness and grace from our covenant God and knowing that he is more than able to give it to us. I want to remind you, if you are here as a visitor, you are welcome to this table. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, if you are like Bartimaeus saying, I have nothing except for sin to bring and I need mercy, then please join with us. Also, if you uh, need gluten-free, if you raise your hand in a couple moments, we will distribute that to you. Other than that, let us come to the Lord's table. Friends, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had broken it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, this morning we come to this table not as those who proclaim our rights, not as those jockeying for position, but as those who come saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, we come to confess our failures and our sins, knowing, believing, trusting that however great our sin is, your mercy is more. Meet us by your Holy Spirit at this table of your sacrament. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pass the elements out uh, and then hold on to them. We will take them together in just a couple moments. Lord, as those born in sin, we humbly confess that we were spiritually blind by nature, easily missing your greatness and glory, being drawn to that which is by nature trivial and ephemeral, preferring the pleasures of sin for a season over the eternal weight of glory. And even after you opened our eyes so that we beheld your glory in the face of your Son, we confess that we often misunderstand your purposes and ways. Like the disciples we've heard about today, we have often craved power and position over service and love. So this morning we ask that you would forgive us, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see you clearly, to follow after you closely, being molded by your spirit to be like your son, servant of all. We take this bread, the symbol of the body of our Lord Jesus, in the faith that in his body he served in our place and in so doing has secured our salvation, secured our salvation now and forever. Take and eat. 
Lord Jesus, you are the messenger of the covenant, the eternal king of glory, and the servant of Yahweh. Though in nature you are fully equal with the Father, you did not think equality with the Father was something to be grasped, but you made yourself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, taking our nature to yourself. And being found in human form, you were obedient to the Father, even in taking the death that we were due. For your perfect, sinless blood was spilled to pay for our sins. So today we take this cup, the symbol of your blood, and we drink it in faith, proclaiming that your mercy shown in your death is sufficient for our salvation. Take and drink. Holy Spirit, we ask that during the days of our lives on this earth, you would give us eyes to see Jesus as he is, not how we want him to be. We ask that you would give us ears to hear your word as it is, not what we want it to be. Give us hearts to believe and obey and minds that don't wander and go our own way. And we look forward to the day when we will be raised and we will be given new eyes that will behold the very face of God and ears that will be full of his voice and his word and new hearts and minds that will believe and desire only your will and new mouths that will be full of praise for our triune God for all of eternity. Until that day, seal, keep, and empower us. And we ask, Spirit of the living God, that you would come upon us now and that you would send us forth as your servants to serve those around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And I encourage you to receive the word of benediction, and then you can take a chance to uh, encourage Dave and uh, thank him for sharing the word so excellently this morning. Our benediction is going to come out of Ephesians chapter 1. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and I believe it's God's prayer for us to receive the blessing of God. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better by having the eyes of your heart enlightened, in order to know that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.